Hey folks, Brian here. Uh, just before we start the show, I just want to take a minute and ask that if you enjoy the show, tell a friend, like and subscribe. It really helps to get the show out there and to grow it and to attract more listeners. Uh, also, if you want to support the show directly, you can donate to the show at anchor.fm slash coaa slash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help to keep the show going and to mitigate some of the costs that the show entails. Thank you for your time and your generosity. Now, enough of that. Let's get on with the show. Episode 7 of Confessions of an Arcade Addict. Actually, this time I do have a voicemail. This is the first direct correspondence to the show. And it is from Orbital Albert, which is a really interesting name. A lot of alliteration going there, even though it's not even... Uh, a lot of things with the letter O or A, but I like it. So, yes, here's his voicemail. Hey, Confessions of an Arcade Addict. I just listened to the first half of episode one, and it's great. Uh, I do agree that arcade machines are a lot more expensive uh, anytime that you're playing uh, in any type of amusement park. And uh, I really like the idea. I'm excited to hear you reminisce about old arcades. Um, I have my uh, own podcast on here called Pinball Nerds Podcast. And my host name anyways is Orbital Albert. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to call in back and leave a message on my show, um, I'd be certain to uh, share it on one of my upcoming podcasts. And who knows, maybe there'll be some overlap between... uh, Barcade and and arcade uh, reminiscing and that sort of thing. Cheers. Thanks, Albert. I will definitely be checking out your podcast as soon as I can. And I will certainly give you some correspondence and some feedback on what I listen to as well. Again, thank you for your voicemail. And again, if you guys want to get a hold of the show, share stories, have critiques... Uh, anything of a positive nature, you can get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. That's all one word. Also, there is a uh, voicemail number, and that number is 734-743-2433. And there is also a strong 
social media presence. On Facebook, just search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. On Twitter, you can get a hold of me at arcadeaddict underscore B. On Instagram, it is arcadeaddictbrian, all one word. And on Tumblr, it is tumblr.com slash blog slash confessions of an arcade addict. So there are ways of getting hold of getting hold of the show. You can also go and drop a uh, voicemail on Anchor, like Albert did, and I will certainly listen to it, and depending on its content, of course, I will post it here on the show in the next episode. So, you will be contributing. So, without any further ado, let's see, we have a jam-packed show today. I have quite a bit to talk about, and also uh, a segment of On the Road at the End. So, without any further ado, let's get into Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. This one is for the Milford area. Now, Milford, Connecticut, I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, It is a town on the west end of New Haven County. It's a town roughly halfway between Bridgeport and New Haven, right along Interstate 95. And I'm familiar with it because I have friends who live there. Uh, My old friend John lives there. My best friend Robert lives there. I went to private school there in 1982, going into 83. But more to the point, there were arcades there. And boy, were there arcades in Milford, let me tell you. Um, We're going to be talking about all of the ones that I went to in the Milford slash Orange area. Now, Orange, Connecticut is the next town east Uh, from Milford heading towards New Haven. So, uh, without any further ado, let's see. We'll start at the Connecticut Post Mall. I think the arcade's name was Tilt, although my memory is a little bit fuzzy. I don't remember if it had a name or not, but if it was, I think it was Tilt. Um, I first discovered this when I started going with Mark on his arcade runs. And that was... I would say probably right around springtime, summer of 82. Um, I think Mark is like 17 years old or something like that. I think I'm 13. I think Mark is four years older than me. But um, yeah, so to give a little bit of backstory, I mean, Mark and I, uh, we were friends from Trommel Mall Arcade. I wouldn't even call us friends in the beginning. I was more like the annoying little brother to him. And I'm pretty sure he would say the same thing <laughs> if you asked him. And yes, folks, I plan on having Mark on the show in an interview slash storytelling uh, segment in the future. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, Mark and I met in the arcade and I used to hang out with him all the time. He was like one of the guys 
who was one of the regulars in the place who actually treated me pretty well. Um, anytime I asked him about a game as to, you know, um, how do you do this? How do you accomplish that? You know, he would tell me for the most part. So considering he was like one of the few guys who frequented that arcade who treated me with any sort of decency, you know, I decided to hang out with him as much as I could. So, yeah, so that started, I want to say, in like, oh goodness, had to be like probably summer of 81, maybe going into the fall of 81. I can't remember exactly. I think I, I think we met right around then. And probably in the following year, I think that's when we started, you know, hanging out and started, uh, he started, you know, taking me to different places. And that's when he showed me the Connecticut Pulse Mall Arcade. And that place was a really decent arcade. Um, you know, it was one of these that it, there was, it was a, an elongated floor area. I mean, it was long. It was, I want to say from the, where the entrance was all the way to the back, it was several hundred feet, you know, like I'd say probably like 300 feet or something like that, but it wasn't very wide. It was enough to have video games along the wall, along the back wall, and then along the opposite wall. I remember this place was like, um, it was like right at the front of the mall. You know, it was attached to the mall, sort of. I mean, basically, when you went into the Connecticut Post Mall from the main entrance, um, you would walk along this little, like, outdoor walkway, but it was, uh, you know, it, basically it was, you know, you were covered under the building because it was like an overhang that went right into the front doors for the mall proper. But before you got to those doors, the entrance to the arcade was to the left. And like I said, it wasn't very wide, but it was long. But it was enough where you could get um, video games along the wall, along the outside wall, ringing the entire structure, and some video games in the middle of the floor, heading back toward, you know, heading from the main entrance towards the back wall. So, um, they had a nice little mix of games. Of course, you know, most of the games of the day, we're talking 82, we're talking like, you know, Dig Dug and Robotron and Mad, I know they had Mad Planets. Mad Planets, I think, came out in 83, but they had a machine. That was one of the games that, uh, they had that Milford Rack didn't have. Um, I used to hang out there quite a bit, and especially when... Um, I started going to private school later that year. Um, if I had the money, I would take the bus from, uh, from school after school was done and I would go over to Milford or excuse me, Connecticut Post Mall and I would hang out there for like an hour, maybe two hours before, you know, I got my butt home because, you know, going to private school in Milford was a little bit of a trek. You know, I've talked about it when um, I did this description for Galaga, but basically it was like, take one bus downtown, walk to the train station, 
get on the train, get off in Milford, and then I'd have to walk from the train station to where the school was, which was, I want to say, about, I'd say probably about half to three quarters of a mile. Um, and then after that, after school was up, if I had some money or if I just didn't feel like going home right away, I would just get on a, a local bus and go to the Connecticut Post Mall and hang out there for a little while spend any money that I had, you know, on some games. And then I would take the bus, depending on how late it was, um, I would either take the bus back to downtown Milford and get on the train and go home that way. Or if I was feeling really adventurous, and this happened quite a bit, I would take the uh, local bus from the Connecticut Post Mall to the Docks Shopping Center in Stratford, which was right across the bridge from uh, Devon, which is like this little town before you get into, get into Milford. And then I would take the number two bus from the Dock Shopping Center to downtown Bridgeport and take the number eight bus home. <laughs> there were some days where I would not get home until... Oh, I would say probably like, oh God, what, eight, seven, eight o'clock at night. And by that time I'm worn out. I barely have enough energy to do my homework and then go to bed and get up and do this all the next day. So yeah, I mean, this arcade was really nice. Um, I remember it was dark. It had dark carpeting, um, not a lot of lights, not a lot of ambiance that I remember and like I said, I will be reviewing this arcade in uh, Arcade Review. Um, you know, had interesting games. And I remember people would go there because they had some games that Milford Rec didn't have, which is saying something. And from there, we'll go to Milford Rec, which I call in my memory memories, I call it the Mecca because it was. This was the largest arcade in the region that I knew about. I'm pretty sure it was, if it wasn't the biggest arcade in the state, it was close. I don't think there was an arcade bigger. I didn't certainly didn't hear of one that was bigger when I was a kid, and I don't think I've heard one that was bigger since. If anybody out there who's listening um, used to frequent Milford Rec or know of an arcade in Connecticut that was bigger, drop me a line and let me know. There might have been one that was up in Hartford somewhere, but I never heard of it. But anyway, to continue, like I said, this place was the Mecca. It was video gaming heaven. I remember the first time I went up there with Mark and I walked in and you would have thought that you had seen, um, or excuse me, not seen, you would have heard, you know, angels singing in a chorus and this white light shining down from above because I was completely blown away. And that was just the main area. Um, Milford Rack, even back then, had three areas. Um, the first area was the main entrance where most of the people came in and out. Um, but that main area had, I want to say it had, either you had 12 or 16 pool tables. There was this big area that had an iron fence, not a fence, but like this little small, this is a real small fence around it. 
you know, sort of enclosing it. And that's where the pool tables were. Um, immediately ahead, you had two token machines, if I remember right. And then to your right was the entrance to the second area and the main desk where you could get, you know, change for whatever bills you had. Um, if you wanted to rent out pool balls to go play pool, um, that's where you would pay for it. I think it was the rates were like for half an hour or, or something like that. I think out of all the times I've been to Milford Rec, I think I played pool there maybe twice. And I went to Milford Rec there quite a bit from 82 until uh, I left the region in 93. Um, but around the, the area where the pool tables were, it was like this slightly raised um, walkway around the perimeter. And along that perimeter were arcade games going all the way down the wall. And there was, of course, the back wall, which I think didn't have any games on it, but the opposite wall going back towards the front desk, that was all arcade games. And most of them were all the classics. I think there was like anything before 1982, I think. Something like that, because I remember they had a Galaga machine there, they had a Galaxian machine there, um, and Pac-Man, and you know all the you know all the games of the, the day, you know, going all the way back to probably like '78. I think they had a Space Invaders machine in that row, so that was the main area. The second area, which was not very large but large enough, that had more games in it. Um, you know, more games of, you know, games of the time of the day, because I've seen everything from the uh, Nintendo, um, the Nintendo games that they came out with in like 84. Uh, and I'm not like talking like punch out or anything like that. I'm talking like the ones that had tennis and golf and stuff like that. I can't, I keep forgetting what they're called. They're not the play choice ones. But uh, they were like uh, the standalone machines with that had dual monitors that if you wanted to play somebody in tennis, you would he would take you would take one screen, the guy would take the other screen. It was like that. I forget what those are called. Um, you know, I saw games like that to like track and field back in like 1984 when it came out. Um, and this place had the majority of their pinball machines. But it was sort of a connection from the main area to the third area, which had more games. And, you know, some skill games, it, you know, at least at first until they started expanding, they had some skill games towards the back, but they had more arcade games in there. So if you were an addict like I was, if you walked in there with, say, let's say $10, $20, and that was the other thing, now that I think about it. Milford Rec had really good, uh, they had really excellent token uh, specials. Um, I think their going rate was 5 for a dollar and like 25 for $5 or something like that. But every once in a while, it would get bumped up to like 6 for a dollar and like, I'd say probably like 30 for 30 for $5 or something like that. And of course, 
as time went on, of course, then they had more boat. They had more uh, specials. Like once they got the uh, token exchange machines that would take ten dollar and twenty dollar bills, of course, you know those specials would increase. Like I think it was like I want to say it was like a hundred tokens for twenty dollars or something like that. <gasps> something really, really ridiculous. But yeah, I mean this place was jumping almost every time I went in that place it was packed and not even packed but it was busy on the weekends it was packed so it was just wonderful to go to I mean there was a time where I was going with Mark to Milford Rec once a week you know especially over the summer you know over the summer he would go there at least you know once a you know probably like a Saturday Every once in a while, it'd be a Sunday, and if I caught up with him at Trumbull Mall Arcade, or if I uh, caught up with him at his job at Bolarama, you know, I'd ask him if he was going to Milford Rec, and if he was, I'd say, you know, ask him if I, I could tag along with him, and most of the times I did. Um, through the years, Milford Rec expanded. They had uh, batting cages, go-kart tracks. Uh, they had a lower level, um, which they converted to uh, an area more for kids. They had more games down there, but they were more kid-oriented, kid-friendly. I remember they had a uh, cabaret Pac-Man down there. Uh, they had Red Baron down there. Um, but yeah, it was mostly for kids. It was bright colors, clowns, that kind of stuff, tables for birthday parties and stuff like that. Um I'm trying to remember when this happened. I think it was either 90 or 91. They actually got a Nathan's restaurant in there. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Nathan's is a rather uh, legendary uh, hot dog company uh, based out of New York, Coney Island, if I'm not mistaken. And they actually got a Nathan's restaurant in there. So sometimes by this time, you know, I'm going with, you know, I have other friends who, you know, tend to go to want to go to Milford Rec and I'd go with them and by this time you know I'm also employed I've got a little bit of money so either I had my own money to play the games or I would cajole my buddy Chris into taking me and you know if and basically he said if you're buying I'm driving and I said yeah sure so I gave him five dollars for gas and gave him another five dollars for tokens and made and we made a day of it you know things like that so um the problem was is that you know that of course as i said earlier milford was not easy for me to get to um or at least where milford wreck was um it would take a train and a bus or excuse me it would take two buses and a train to get there normally or it would take three buses to get there. I have memories of uh, me and my buddy Edgar. Uh, we went to Milford Rec and uh, Connecticut Post Mall. We were the, we made a day of it. It was you know a really cold winter day. I remember that. Uh, we went there, bought like some games from like Toys R Us in Connecticut Post Mall and stuff like that. I mean, we were deep in our Commodore 64 uh, obsessions at that time. And, I mean, I remember 
we started at like, God, it was, had to be like 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that, or 12 o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. And we got on the train and we went to, you know, we went to Milford, got on the bus and, oh no, I take that back. We took the bus out there and then we took the bus from the Dock Shopping Center in Stratford and we went to the Connecticut Post Mall. And we went there, went to the arcade, went to stores, bought stuff. Then we went to Milford Rec, spent more money. Now, by this time, it's getting late. <laughs> so I remember, I think we had to walk it from uh, Connecticut Post Mall to the Milford train station. Fortunately, Milford's not a really big town. But when you've been on your feet all day and you're, you know, tired and sore and it was in the middle of winter too so we were both freezing our butts off by the time we got to the train station then we got on the train got downtown then we went over his house played the games that we bought then I remember I had to ask my stepfather for a ride home that night because <laughs> by this time it's like god oh it was at least like nine o'clock in the at night by the time we got it we got done so I had to basically walk to a diner call my stepfather and he came down and picked me up. I have memories like that. Um, so the last time I went to Milford Rec, it was the year 2000. Um, and by that time, you know, the arcades weren't doing that that big a business. But then again, it could have been then. Uh, I think it was a night during the week when I went down there and school was in session. So, you know, not a lot of kids were out and about. Um, that and also arcades were kind of on a serious decline by this time. And even this one, which was, like I said, the biggest one in the state, but um, I still had some fun there. I played games, you know, and, you know, sort of reminisced about, you know, how it all, you know, how it all started here. And then um, I didn't find out it had closed down until I went back to Connecticut in 2005. Uh, I went to go get uh, the rest of my things I left behind when I moved to, uh, when I moved out of state in 1993. Um, and I had taken a week's vacation off my job to go do it because it was going to take that long <laughs> between, you know, seeing my friends, seeing my family, uh, getting a rental uh, truck and getting all my stuff packed and driving it back to Michigan. Yeah, it was going to take me about a week. So, um so one night, uh, I had a rental car and I was just, you know, driving here and there. I had spent some time with my buddy, Rob, um, you know, I spent some time at his house, hanging out with him. And I said, you know, just for the hell of it, I'm going to go to Milford Rec and see what's doing. I think it was like, oh God, what? 9.30 at night, close to 10. And even during the week, Milford Rec was open until at least 11 o'clock. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to go there, play some games, have a little fun before I go back to, um, go back to, uh, my stepfather's place because I was staying with him at the time. Um, so I drive up there and I was so sad because not only was Milford Rec closed, it, they had demolished the building. Uh, it was in the process of it being, uh, I think it was in the process of it being broken up. So that, you know, all the uh, materials that made up the building could be hauled away. You know, of course, the property was fenced in and all that kind of stuff. 
So, yeah, I mean, that was a really sad day. I felt really bad about it. Um, but, yeah, all good things must come to an end, apparently. Uh, let's see, Gompers. Um, like I said in uh, when I described all the Connecticut arcades I used to go to, uh, this one was about two miles up the road from Milford Rec. Um, I'd only been there maybe three times, tops. But um, it was a unique little spot. Um, it wasn't as huge. It wasn't huge at all. It was like a medium, small to medium-sized arcade. It wasn't huge. It was just a, a regular storefront, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been a standalone building, but I can't remember. Um... But yeah, I mean, it, but like uh, the the Tilt Arcade in uh, Connecticut Bowl Small, it had games that Milford Rec didn't have. And that's saying something, considering how many games Milford Rec had. Milford Rec had at least 100 to 200 games. You know, at the height of their powers, it had to be oh, well up over 200. So um, there was one day in, I want to say, 85... Um, I just wanted to go up there, you know, and play some games because, um, I had gone to Milford Rec and, you know, I was just like, you know, let's just see what Gompers is about. So I walked up there and, and lo and behold, it was gone. You know, another kind of sad day. I'm always a little sad when an arcade closes down. Um, the Showcase Cinemas. Okay. This is a movie complex in Orange, same town where Gompers was. Right off I-95. Um, when I was a little kid, my uh, my mother used to, my mother and my stepfather used to take us here. Uh, my brother and I used to take us there to, to go see movies. Um, which is funny because we had a movie theater in our neighborhood, but this place actually had, you know, actually had movies. That, this was before the Mirror Theater split into two. It was, it was one big theater when I was growing, when I was growing up. Then when I, when I became uh, a teenager, uh, it split into two movie theaters. Um, this one kept expanding throughout the years. I mean, it, it, it went to four, then it went to six, then it went to eight. By the time I think they closed down, I think it had 14. Well, the last time I was there was 1992, but they had 14 movie theaters in that place. I think they had as many as 17 before they finally closed down. Um, it was a fantastic uh, movie theater. Um, the lobby itself was huge. Um, but the one thing that always drew my attention is that they had video games in the lobby. Um, they had these little custom-made white cabinet enclosures with a blue shaded screen which you know they had video games in and they had i remember when i was a little kid uh went to go see a movie and i want to say 78 and they had space invaders in them uh, another we went there again in 79 they had asteroids um and they had like oh god i want to say they had at least like eight of these things at the very least eight i want to say 12 but that might be too many but i will say at least eight of these little uh, arcade machine cabinets and every time we went in 
um, depending on how much time we had before the movie started. And there were a couple of times where I would ask my mom for a quarter. I'd go over there and play a game. They'd go into the movie theater. They'd tell me which movie theater uh, they were going into. And then after I got done playing the game, then I would come in and watch the movie with them because, <laughs> you know, that's just how it was for me. Video games was important. That's why I call myself an addict. Um, so, I mean, the last time I went there was 1992. Um, me and the group I was hanging out with at the time, we went to go see uh, the Blade Runner remake. Yeah, I think that was 92. It might have been 91, but I think it was 92. Um, that's the last time I went to the Showcase Cinemas. They still had those uh, those machines, but um, I remember we just went into the movie theater as a group, and you know I didn't go over there and play any games. Um, uh, the one story I have about that is that one time in 1985, um, I was hanging out, or was it 85? No, it might have been as might have been like 87. 87, maybe 88, somewhere in there, maybe even more than, further than that, maybe even, no, you want to know what, it was like 1990, um, I was hanging out with Mark still at this time, um, yeah, as a matter of fact, it was 89, I remember, so I was hanging out with Mark, it was kind of a little less frequently, because now we're both older, 1989, I'm 20 years old, going on 21, and Mark is, what, 24? three going on 24 or 24 going on 25, somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, every once in a while at this point, you know, sometimes I get a phone call from Mark saying, hey, you want to hang out with, you know, I'll come over to um, my girlfriend's place and, you know, come hang out or you want to come, you know, I'm having a party, you want to come hang out at my place. You know, it would happen every once in a while. So um, <laughs> I still didn't have a car at this point. Um so I basically rode my bike everywhere. So uh, basically, if I was going to his place, I would get on my bike and ride up into the wilds of Trumbull. <laughs> I mean, it was probably, Mark lived probably about four miles north of the Trumbull Mall, if I remember right, somewhere around there. Um, and his girlfriend that he was dating at the time, he, she and her family lived out in Milford interesting family, really nice people. Uh, they had moved from Connecticut or moved to Connecticut from Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, they were really good people. The parents were really nice. Um, his girlfriend was pretty cool. Uh, his girlfriend's younger sister was pretty cool. And, you know, I would just, you know, anytime they had like a party or get together over there and I was invited, I just get on my bike and go. Um, so he basically said, you know, uh, come on over. We're hanging out at, you know, hanging out at my girlfriend's place. And I said, okay, cool. I'll be over there and like, give me an hour. And I would get on my bike and I would ride to Milford. Now that's not exactly, um, a, uh, short ride. It would take me probably about close to 45 minutes to get to Milford from my house. And that was if I was hauling ass. And there were a couple of hills that assisted with that, thankfully. Because um, there was one that, w the hill was so big on uh, Boston Avenue heading east towards Stratford. 
um, that it was really hard to get. I mean, it, the, it was really steep. So if you got all the way up to the top and you started pedaling and you just pedaled as fast as you could, you could carry that momentum almost all the way to the dock shopping center in Stratford for almost a mile, I would say, maybe even further. Um, and where they lived was just over the bridge in Milford. So I would go there and, you know, hang out with them. Uh, so I'm hanging out with them one night and they're like, let's go to the movies. And, you know, I looked at Mark, I said, Hey Mark, I don't have money for that. You know, I was broke at that point. I was in between paychecks at the time. And he said, yeah, don't worry about it. Just come with us. Um, and so they went and watched a movie and they didn't have enough money to front me to watch the movie with them. And I said, no, it's cool. It's cool. I got, I've got, uh, I think I had 50 cents on me. <laughs> so I went into the lobby while they went into the movies and they had a Matt Mania machine in there. And by this time, I had fully mastered Matt Mania. I mean, we're talking, you know, 80, 89 or something like that. 88, 89, somewhere in there. I had fully mastered that game. So basically, I sat down in front of it on one quarter. And I played it for the almost two hours that they uh, watched the movie. When they came out of the movie, I was still playing a game. I think I turned, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm certain of it. I turned that game over. Uh, that game turns over at a million points. Um, and by that time, I was just, you know, everybody came out and they were just like, wow, you're still playing? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty good at it. And so, um, and after that, you know, I just let the game, you know, let myself get pinned. And, you know, we all uh, piled, in, piled in our cars and we headed back towards his, back to his girlfriend's house and, I think we spent the night there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, those are my memories of uh, the Milford area, the arcades that were in the area, and you know all the things that you know I uh, that I experienced growing up. So that will do it for uh, arcade rundown. Uh, once again, got any questions, comments? Uh, you can get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. So now then, from there, let's go into top tens. Top tens. Okay. 1981. This is probably the hardest top ten list that I had to uh, come up with by far. I mean, 1982 was just as hard. 1980 was difficult, but this one is the hardest. 1981 is when really, when video games really started ramping up. And that's saying something considering the craze that started with Space Invaders that carried all the way through to Galaxian and Pac-Man and, you know, in 80, and then all of a sudden, 81 comes in and everything goes up to another level. It's, it was crazy. Um, by this time, I'm 12 going on 13. I'm at the mall as much as I can be. Um, um, you know, I still haven't quite discovered Spankies yet, but um, 
I'm at the Trumbull Mall Arcade a lot. Um, I'm just getting to know Mark at this point. Um, you know, so yeah, I'm a regular over there and that was like my, my home base. So yeah. So without any further ado, let's just get into it again. These are not in any particular order of preference. Um, like I said, it's just too hard for me to come up with, uh, uh, a actual one to 10 list. So I'm not even going to try. So, uh, 1981, let's just get into it. Donkey Kong. Now, like I said, in 81, Donkey Kong was the, uh, it just ruled the roost once it, from the, the time it came out until probably to this day. And of course it, it had a bit of a renaissance with the King of Kong movie that came out several years ago. Um, you know, it was one of, it was a, f a fantastic game. Everybody was playing it. Um, I'm going to review Donkey Kong in Are You Experienced in a future episode? I think the very next episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember uh, from the moment it came into the Trumbull Ball Arcade, everybody was all over it. It was, it was a very different game as opposed to what else was going on at the time. Okay. Uh, Galaga, of course, 1981 Galaga to my, to this day remains one of my favorite video games of all time. Um, again, it's the sequel to Galaxian, which came out in 79. Um, I reviewed it, did a full rundown on it, uh, last episode and not much more needs to be said. Um, every, uh, Trumbull Mall Arcade didn't have Galaga at first. I think they got a Galaga machine later. Um, but the, uh, Rexall drugstore in the mall proper actually had a Galaga machine. That's the first time I remember running into it. And then, uh, like I said, I ran into it in the train station, uh, Bridgeport train station. And then as the years went on from 81 going into 82 and 83, it's like you couldn't see a, an arcade that didn't have a Galaga machine. That's just how it was. Okay, but moving on from Galaga, go into Bosconian. Now, this one is kind of funny because I consider this the sequel to Galaga, even though it's kind of not. But it's basically Galaga, more or less kind of Galaga in eight directions. Galaga is a vertical shooter like Space Invaders. Bosconian is a uh, free light eight directional uh game um basically you fly through space avoiding asteroids either avoiding them or shooting them and avoiding mines or shooting them and going up to uh space stations and trying to destroy them either by shooting the center or by shooting all the uh pods around the base and all this time you're avoiding the shots from the base you're avoiding uh, enemy fighters that try to ram you. You're avoiding and trying to shoot enemy formations, which basically uh, take off from a base, and they basically try to ram you. You have to shoot the leader of the uh, formation, and the other uh, ships in the formation will break away and try to get away from you. 
Um, this is a game that anytime I can, I find it, I play it. Uh, the arcade in Brighton has a Bosconian machine. That's where I get my, uh, get my fix these days, aside from emulation, of course. Uh, Frenzy. Frenzy is the sequel to Berserk by Stern. Uh, it's a lot harder, uh, a lot more, uh, a lot more, uh, enemy robots trying to kill you, trying to shoot you, trying to run into you, um, uh, sometimes during some levels there are reflective walls, which will reflect not only your shots, but the shots from the robots, um, so you've got to know what, you know, got to know your angles, as a matter of fact, uh, as you proceed further into the game, there are levels where all of the walls are reflective, which can work for or against you. Um, in this game, which is a big, big difference, you can shoot Evil Otto, the little smiley face robot that will come out after a certain amount of time and try to kill you. You can actually shoot it three times for points and... If you shoot it, you shoot it basically three times after the third time you kill it. Then right after that, another evil owl comes out, but faster, like on an order of magnitude faster. Um, uh, just a brief memory on that game. There was one game where I was greedy for points and I was shooting evil auto. I was right by the exit to the uh, level all the robots have been killed, so now I'm in a spot where I'm shooting Evil Otto as he comes out, and he starts off slow, so basically you can set yourself up and shoot him, and then the second time I shot, I killed him, and then the third time he basically will cover uh, the length of the screen in half a second, and somehow I shot him three times, <laughs> and then the fourth one came out and he covers it in like a tenth of a second so you know i don't remember if i got off that level or not but anyway that's frenzy um frogger classic um anyone who knows anything about video games knows about frogger um but yeah it's one of those games that it's kind of timeless to this day it had a bit of a resurgence with the seinfeld episode where George basically finds the Frogger machine in the pre pizza place he used to go into when he was a kid and his high score was still up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a game that's timeless. Um, Gorf. This one was, it was fantastic on a couple, on all kinds of levels. Um, I may, I probably will cover the scenario experience because it kind of deserves it. But basically, Gorf is like what Space Invaders, Laser Blast, Galaxian. Yeah, it's five games in one, and basically, it's you know, it's like Space Invaders meets uh, Galaxian meets three different other games that never came, and of course, I mean, two other games, and then there's the Mothership at the end. And as you, um, when you destroy the mothership, you go up in rank, which was really cool. And it would have off to the right on an actual dedicated Gorf machine. It would have the, uh, rank of your, your, uh, playing rank as you're playing the game. And as you, you know, get through the levels and keep destroying the mothership, you keep going up in rank. And it, I mean, it was 
it's fun. I mean, the last time I played Gorf was at the arcade in Brighton. I got up to just short of Space Avenger, which was unfortunate. But, you know, that's actually pretty good considering I hadn't played Gorf with any sort of seriousness in years. Um, Ms. Pac-Man. I, I covered this, I believe. As a matter of fact, I'm going to check. Edit. Yeah, there it is. I covered it in uh, the very last episode in RE Experienced. Um, once again, this is another iconic video game and, uh, des definitely deserves to be on this top 10. There's nothing I can say now that I hadn't, I had not said in the previous episode. So go ahead and listen to that. Okay. This is a personal favorite of mine, which makes the top 10 Pleiades. Pleiades is more or less the sequel to Phoenix and, you know, it's, a lot it's a different it's it's a lot more difficult <laughs> and it's it, uh, i find this to be one of the most fun games to play in arcade or in simulation the controls of course are simple but um you know it's still a lot of fun to play and i still get a kick out of it to this day the arcade and brian brighton has it you know, so any almost any time I'm there, I'll play that alongside Phoenix because they have those two machines located right next to each other. Quicks. Now, people call it Kicks. I call it Quicks. Um, this machine freaked me the freak out when I was a kid. I mean, I mean the sounds of that game gave me nightmares. <laughs> and I'm not joking. That is not hyperbole. There were times where... I would be asleep and I would hear, I would just somehow I'd be playing that game and the sounds of that game just would freak me the heck out. Um, Trumbull Mall got this in, I want to say like, uh, I'd say shortly after it came out in 81 and, you know, you know, and it was a game where everybody was playing it for the longest time and everybody was trying to get high scores and everything like that. I mean, I was into the, you know, into the, I got caught swept up in the enthusiasm of the game, for the game, and, but I was never as good as some of the guys. I mean, I, Mark showed me some t tips on that game, but, you know, I just wasn't as good. It, it required a lot of planning, and either things went well or they didn't. Um, Stargate sequel to Defender and in what is it score I think that's the name of the book how to beat the top 16 video games which came out in 82 if I'm not mistaken Stargate was one of them and he said the author basically wrote that this game has more controls than Space Shuttle <laughs> which is pretty accurate um it takes the difficulty of Defender and puts it on another level and, you know, you have, you know, a, an actual Stargate in the actual game. So if you are an expert, you could actually, um, uh, basically what you had to do to use the Stargate. Now, if you used it normally, it would just teleport you to another area of the planet. And if there was a humanoid being captured by a lander... Um, if you ran in the Stargate, it would take you right to that, where that, uh, lander is so you could rescue the humanoid. And basically you had a progressive bonus 
Um, if you rescued a humanoid and didn't put him back on the planet, it would be 500 for the first one, 1,000 for the second, 1,500 for the third, and then 2,000 points for the fourth. And then if you made a run directly to the Stargate and went into it, you would warp ahead to, I think you warped ahead to level five, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I mean, I watched uh, my buddy Mark and a bunch of other regulars play this game, and they used to basically warp ahead to, like, level 10. They would do it, and they would basically do the rescue thing twice. Um, which I think that's as far as you could go using that. So... Yeah, it was a hard game. Um, I'm trying to remember. High score I think I ever got on Stargate was like, oh God, I'd say like, what, 300,000 or something like that. I mean, I've seen guys, you know, especially out of the crew that used to frequent that the Trumbull Mall Arcade, they get upwards of a million points. Easy. And Stargate also was one of the newer, one of the games in released by Williams that not only had a top score, which you write, you know, your initials and, you know, if depending on the settings of the game, you could actually write a message, uh, on the, you know, on it, you know, if you got the high, you know, the high score, but also it had like a top, what is it? A top 25 or something like that. So even if you didn't get the chief score, you at least got on, on the board. Which was kind of important back then. Okay, honorable mentions. Um, Astro Blaster, which I talked about. Um, yeah, which I, you know, which... Oh, I'm sorry. No, I didn't talk about that. I was talking thinking Astro Fighter. I'm sorry. Uh, Astro Blaster um, by Sega. And it had the... Uh, had voice synthesis in it. And it was a really cool game. Uh, excellent graphics. Um, really challenging gameplay. I mean, you were a really good you know, you were really good uh, at this game if you got to I want to say the third or fourth batch of enemies. They would all come down in various uh, attack patterns. Some of them would come from the top of the screen. Some of them would come from the sides. Some of them would loop down and loop back up. Some of them would have like these weird side to side movements. Basically, I think this game was the direct um, inspiration for Mega Mania by Activision, which is kind of more or less Astro Blaster for the 2600. Um, Ladybug. I didn't really get into this game until I played the uh, ColecoVision translation, which is almost perfect. Um, it's a maze game with flipping doors, and it you know it's sort of like a combination of Pac-Man and uh, uh, I want to say like Pac-Man and Mr. Do in a way. It was made by Universal, which made Mr. Do. So, you know, the game was pretty similar. Um, I wasn't really good at it, uh, but I used to watch people who were. I tried to pick up tips. <laughs> Didn't work all that great because, you know, it required a lot more strategy than Pac-Man. It really did on some levels. Um, Omega Race. <laughs> this game. Oh, my God. <laughs> This game, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. This is one of those games that you love to play, but it would make you want to tear your hair out. Um, basically, it's a game, it, it's it's more or less a shoot 'em up but it's within a 
quote-unquote racetrack um, with walls you can bounce off of and, you know, there's just a ton of different strategy involved in it and, you know, maybe I'll cover it in a future Are You Experience, maybe I won't. It all depends on whether I can, you know, actually uh, kind of get back into it. Um, Satan's Hollow. This game, <laughs> this game was quite interesting. Um, it was a shooter, is a vertical shooter, but with a lot of supernatural elements to it. And basically, um, you had enemies that would fly above you, that would dive bomb you. And if you killed one, it, you would see a, uh, a segment, a bridge segment appear on the bottom left. You would go over, pick it up, move over to the right. Cause there's this little, uh, chasm that you have to form a bridge section for and it was and basically once you got all of the bridge sections you would hear a da -da 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 -da, which would tell you that the bridge was complete and you can move across that bridge over to a side screen where you would fight satan himself and he would come out and he would just start moving in a certain pattern moving very quickly and you would try to shoot him and if you shot him and killed him, you got 1,000 points for him, and then you got, like, 1,000 points for each level that you completed before you went over to fight him. And you could actually stretch it out to where you could actually get, like, uh, 10,000 points per 10 screens that you got so you know it would just keep counting it would just go one to nine then it would have a red flag for 10 and it would keep going from there um after you killed satan it was like sort of uh then you would get like additional firepower and if you killed him again you get more firepower so it was and you would need that firepower in the later stages because you would have at least 30 enemies on the screen in these really aggressive patterns that would just kind of just start dive bombing you. And of course they're shooting like these fast missiles that would actually semi track your fighter as you're moving at your base, as you're moving from side to side. And not only that, then they would try to ram you directly. Uh, there were some enemies that would drop these eggs that would either, um, they would either destroy sections of your bridge or they would actually be like these little like phoenix like demons that would be like uh explode on the ground they would stay there for a while if you ran into it you died i mean it was a really hard game but it was it was fun to play um let's see space fury <laughs> uh another game by sega with uh voice synthesis the same voice actor that was in astro blaster now that i think about it uh that one was more of a uh, asteroids type game but you also had if you completed the level quickly enough you would get you would get um onto a screen where you'd have these different shells trying to remember the colors i think one was green one was light blue and one was dark blue um the green one would shoot one shot forward, two shots back. The light blue would shoot in three directions, forward, left, and right. And the dark blue one had four shots that would shoot straight forward. And you would basically 
turn once you got to that screen you would turn and go to one of the shells and it would close around the the, the nose of your fighter and you get a uh, bonus points and then you would go on to another ship now while all this is going on the voice synthesized alien is talking junk to you it would say things like so you survived you know my it would be like my warriors or something like that or you know my destroyers will end you or destroy or something like that you know what i'm i may just find some uh maybe there's a youtube clip that sh that plays the voice synthesis if so i'll upload it and i'll upload it to this podcast so you can hear it because it's very interesting um space tactics now Sega in 1981, they really started coming into, the, into their own that I saw because they were putting out not only quite a few games, but they were different. You know, they were all, you know, they weren't all of a piece. They were different. Like Space Tactics is basically a, uh, a uh, pseudo 3D version of Space Invaders. Basically, you're in control of a cannon and you're basically shooting oncoming waves of enemies that are moving towards you, trying to get into range of where your cities are. It's sort of a combination of like tail gunner and missile command. Um, you have a shield, which you can, you know, you hit the shield button, it puts a shield over your cities, which will block enemy bombs. Um, Basically, you know, you're basically trying to time it so that you hit enemies and trying to keep them from getting too close to your uh, cities because then they'll start dive trying to bomb your cities. And each one of your cities also has like a uh, uh, an energy missile sitting on top of it, and you could hit button and hit a button to launch it. It's sort of like a last ditch, last. Uh, attempt to defend your city uh, for whatever reason if you couldn't get over there in time to block uh, to block uh, to, you know to shoot the shots or if you were out of shields or whatever it's an interesting game I love I love playing it to this day this is one of the games that I found at the midway um, that's the only place I ever found it um, I, every time I went to uh, the midway from 81 until like 84 or 85 um i would go when i was in the arcade 10 i play space tactics every time i love that game it was fantastic you know i was very happy when i was able to find it in emulation okay super cobra slash scramble huh these games oh my god when these games came out oh my goodness scramble came out first and then uh super cobra came after that but I think it where they were roughly in the same year. Um, Scramble, I mean, basically it's a uh, horizontal uh, shooting game uh, where basically you're trying to get through the various stages to uh, get to, you know, get to the end of the stage and, you know, uh, destroy all the bases. And then that all starts over just faster and more difficult uh, while you're flying along the ground of course the ground is moving beneath you beneath the, beneath you are uh bases and rockets which will lift off from the ground to attempt to collide with your ship 
um, and of course fuel pods. And while you're running, your ship is using fuel, so you have to bomb or shoot fuel tanks to replenish your fuel to get through the various stages. Um, I was never very good at these games. I really wasn't. Super Cobra was it was even tougher. You were flying a helicopter. Um, you not only in addition to the uh, bases and missiles and fuel tanks. Now you have ground-based cannons shooting at you, and not only that. Now you've got various challenges coming from the right side of the screen. You know, and same thing in Scramble. There's one where there is a bunch of UFOs in a uh, down and up pattern going across the screen towards your ship, and you basically have to shoot them or avoid them. Uh, same thing with Super Cobra. Super Cobra's Scramble just a lot tougher. Um, Turbo. Turbo is the sequel to Monaco GP by Sega. And. Now, I loved Monaco GP, you know, it was really cool, I've already talked about it in uh, Top 10s of 79, if I'm not mistaken, and Turbo's the sequel to it. Now, instead of just a top-down view, it's more of an, more of an isometric view, um, and basically you're having to deal with, just like in Monaco GP, you're dealing with road conditions, but you're also dealing with curves, um, you know, you're dealing with, uh, you're dealing with much more difficult situations to be in. Um, you're dealing with ambulances, uh, coming up from behind you, trying to pass you. Although, you know, it's just there to make life more difficult to avoid, you know, cause you've got to avoid the ambulance to keep from crashing. Um, and you know, it, it was a fun game. It really was. I mean, I've played the stand-up version. I think I played the sit-down version once. Um, the arcade Brighton has it, but it rarely works, unfortunately, because it's a lot of fun to play. And when it's on free play, of course, you can play it as much as you want, so you can actually get better in a shorter period of time. But it's one of my favorites, one of my favorite driving games of all time. Vanguard. This is a personal favorite of mine. And... Like I said, this was a top, hard top 10 because most of the games in the honorable mentions could make top 10 very easily, but I decided to stick with the basics, so to speak. Uh, Vanguard is a vertical and horizontal uh, shooter, and it's going, you know, going through various stages uh, to make it to the uh, end, make it to the end boss to try and kill him for extra points. And, you know, it requires different challenges. You know, it has different challenges during the different stages. Uh, there are some stages that are really hard. There are some stages that are really easy. There are some stages that are just basically a point fest. That basically you're just shooting all the targets in front of you. And the only thing you have to worry about is not running into an energy barrier. But you know how to, you basically have to shoot the emitters on the bottom or top of where the gate is, and then it'll cut off. And this is one of the games where, yeah, most of the time if I go to the arcade in Brighton, because they have a Vanguard machine, I play it. I mean, I remember just being so taken by this game in not only the, at a, not only at the James E. Strait shows uh, when they came to town during the summer, but also the... Lafayette Plaza Arcade, 
in downtown Bridgeport. Um, they had a Vanguard machine, and I every time I went in there to play games, I always played this game because it was fun. And it also had, like, the Flash Gordon uh, battle theme to it, which is kind of weird. <laughs> I'm still wondering how Queen allowed that. <laughs> Because, you know, that was, it was a direct, it was a direct, uh, ripoff of that theme in the game. And I'm pretty sure this game came out after Flash Gordon came out in 1980. And for those who don't know about this movie, go on, you know, whether, where you gotta go to see it, whether it be Hulu or Netflix or wherever you gotta see it, but see it. It's campy as hell, but it's fun. One of the best movies of 1980 in my, in my regard, but. Anyway, those are my top tens. So if you have any thoughts, questions, comments, get a hold of me at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, on to the last segment of the show, which is Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, baby, I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. Lying wet arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe we're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not gonna buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Tempest. Okay. This game... <laughs> this game was weird. It really was. Um, Now, they say Tempest... They say that Tempest came out in 1981, even though the copyright for for Atari was 1980. Tempest is an arcade game by Atari Incorporated in 1981, designed and programmed by Dave, Dave Thor. It, take it takes place on a three-dimensional surface, sometimes wrapped into a tube, which is viewed uh, from one end and is divided into a dozen or more segments or lanes. The player controls a claw-shaped you know, claw spaceship named Blaster that crawls along near the edge of the playfield, moving from segment to segment. Um, Tempest was one of the first games to use Atari's color quadrascan vector display technology. It was also the first game to allow the player to choose their starting label, a system, a system dubbed Atari Skill Step. This feature increases the maximum starting level depending on the player's performance in the previous game, essentially allowing the player to continue. Tempest was one of the first video games to sport a progressive level design in which the levels themselves varied rather than giving the player the same layout with, with increasing, in increasing difficulty levels. The object of Tempest is to survive as long as possible and score as many points as possible by clearing the screen of enemies that have appeared on the playing field. The player ship can rapid fire shots down the tunnel, destroying any fight, any enemies within the same segment, and is also equipped with a super zapper, which destroys all enemies currently on the playfield once per level. A second use of the super zapper in a level destroys one random enemy. Enemies swirl around the far end of the playfield, then enter the playfield and move towards the player. There are multiple types of enemies each of which has a different behavior. At higher levels, some enemies leave a spike in the middle of the lane as they travel towards the player. A spike can de destroy the player's ship when the player warps out to the next playfield. 
other enemies travel to the player end of the play field and flip from lane to lane, killing the player if they move to the lane the player is on, firing while the enemy is changing from an adjacent lane, kills this type of enemy. When all enemies are destroyed or reach the near end of the play field, the player warps to the next level by traveling down the play field. As the player warps to the next level, he or she must must avoid or shoot away any spikes. The player loses a ship when an enemy comes into contact with their ship, shoots it, or otherwise destroys it, or if the ship hits a spike while warping. At certain point thresholds, the player earns a new ship. However, six lives are maximum. The game is over when all of the enemies, when the enemies destroy all the player's ships. Which is exactly correct. <laughs> yeah, whoever wrote this Wikipedia page has it exactly right. Um, this game was really funky. I mean, once you figured it out, it was a lot of fun. And once you got past the weirdness of it and just looked into the actual brilliance of the game, you know, yeah, it was one of the best games to come out in that era. Um, Trouble Mall Arcade got it in 80 to 8. I think it was like early 81 when they got it. And, you know, then all the regulars glommed onto it. Everybody was playing it. And... Then probably, I want to say, going into 82, everyone started to really get good at the game. So now it was like, okay, what color of levels can you get to? Um, I'm going back to the Wikipedia page I'm talking. Um, the actual... Huh. Okay, yeah, it even says so here. Uh, each one of the... each. Uh, the difficulty levels have 16 screens. Uh, it starts off with dark blue, uh, on, you know, for each one of the screens. Um, when all the 16 screens have been played, the sequence repeats with a difficult, different color scheme and a higher difficulty level, including the invisible level at level 65 to 80, <laughs> which is crazy. Um... And it's just, it's just absolutely nuts because it goes, I'm trying to remember, it goes from dark blue to red to green to light blue. I think it goes to white, then it goes to black. I think that's how it goes. Um, I mean, that's just going straight off memory. I can't even remember um, how it goes, you know, how it actually goes by. I know red is the next one. I think green is the one after it. It's either green or light blue. It's one of those two. So anyway, um, so, I mean, I remember there was one time I went to the arcade and all of the regulars are playing this game, you know, nonstop. I mean, they've got the row of quarters going, you know, and, they're just basically just they're just hunting just dumping quarters in you know once their games are over and they're just going and going and going and going and i remember i got in on that train towards the end i think they had finally stopped playing it and um i got in on it because um I play, you know, so I got in, so I think my highest score on Tempest was like 684,000, 
or something like that. But to be fair about it, <laughs> I got in on the tail end of when uh, all the other guys were playing it. So I think they were up around... They had, no, I take that back. They got to the uh, invisible level. That's yeah, I remember that. Now, by that time, everything is happening so fast. You have to be on the ball. And if you're not on the ball, you are going to die very, very quickly. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it was one of the best game, one of the best games of the time. I mean, it, it, it got everybody's interest. I mean, I still play it. I mean, every once in a while, I'm nowhere near as good as I used to be. I mean, on my own, I could get to the, uh, to the light blue or green level, whatever the, uh, third set of, uh, levels is and you know i mean the last time i played it i was a little frustrated because i couldn't get past the, get past the reds the red uh uh set of levels and of course like it said it's progressive so that if you die on a, if you die at a certain point you can continue and you can just go back to the last um the i think it goes in like uh I think it goes 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, 15, 17, and so on and so forth. It's like going up on odd numbers. So if you if you die on a stage in between, like say stage 15 and 17, you have the option of continuing at level 15. So yeah, it was it's a lot of fun. It you know, it's fun, it's funky. It's just one of those games that is just pretty cool to it's cool to play it's cool to watch you know there's always something going on especially once you start getting up in the upper levels but um it's just one of those games where it just catches your eye and kind of keeps it for a while so yeah that's that's tempest uh so yeah if you have any questions about this game or comments just drop a line at me uh arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com or the voicemail 734-743-2433. Okay. Uh, let's see now. I think we've gotten on the road segment. Do we? Do we possibly? Yes, we do, as a matter of fact. Okay. Moving right along, we have On the Road. <laughs> Okay, it is Monday, November 27th, 2017, 12 o'clock high noon. I said I would do it, so here I am doing my delivery ride at work, and while I've kind of got the experience and the thoughts kind of fresh in my head, I'm going to give an, at last uh, an in-depth review of um, my experience at the arcade in Brighton. 
Um, last time I was there, just to give, well, second to last time I was there. Um, second to last time I was there, you know, I didn't have a really good experience. Most of the games were broken. A lot of them were shut down, you know, and that was like, you know, that's just how it was. And I wrote a review on it. I went back there probably about two, three weeks ago, you know, just walked around the place and I was just like, wow, this is a whole lot better. So this holiday weekend on Saturday, you know, I took a chunk of time. I took a chunk of time and I went and, uh, went in there and I actually played the games and I give it a good solid four and a half stars out of five um some of the machines were not many I will say that not many but some of the machines uh were just not in what I would call good working order um if I, if I really was going to be anal retentive about it, I would have created a list of the machines that didn't work, what didn't work, and what needed, and, you know, the, that they need to be repaired. But I'm, I decided specifically not to be that picky. Um, the place gets really hot. <laughs> that's one of the, that's one of the drawbacks about the place um, as I've said there is a um, it's a two-floor establishment on the first floor are a lot of classic games but also newer games and also a lot of pinball machines most of them from I think the oldest machine they've got is like 2007 or something like that. You know, all the way up to the Star Wars machine, which is the second second most recent machine Stern has put out. The newest one being Guardians of the Galaxy, which has not gone... I don't think they've started shipping to customers yet. So, um... Most of the games I played were in perfect working order uh, from, oh my god, from the Atari Star Wars to the Tempest machine right next to it. Um, I mean, I played a whole bunch of games. You know, I was very, very happy about that place. Um, $15 is not a major expenditure considering you play all day. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to do my home care, which is my second job, after being in that arcade for like three hours. Well, three hours turned into what? Almost six? <laughs> I completely lost track of time. I mean, I was just, you know, walking from machine to machine, playing them. Um... You know, all the machines, almost all the machines are, that can be set on free play are set on free play. Um, and they have a little uh, system where uh, if you push, I think it's on the right slot, 
of the coin, you know, the white, the right coin slot. If you push the coin return, it actually puts a credit up on the machine, which is pretty ingenious, actually. Um, that way, you can play whatever you want to play, and you know, it's you know pretty easy peasy. Um, I mean, I was very happy I got like what was it like. 10,000 on Star Castle, and I haven't played that game in any seriousness in years. You know, Star Castle was working, was a good working machine. Their Asteroids machine was not working 100%. Their thrust button was intermittent at best. And you cannot play Asteroids just sitting in the middle. You never could, even though. I remember when I was learning how to play the game, that's what I did, you know, but you just can't sit there. I mean, especially once you get up over, what, 5,000 points when the little saucers start coming out and they're horribly accurate, <laughs> you know, but anyway, um, let's see, uh, put, a, put my high score up on a bunch of machines. It's nice to know that, I mean, even though I played games like, um, they had a Ms. Pac-Man machine that had a, not only a, uh, a hyper speed Ms. Pac-Man, but also a different scoring, uh, dynamic. I think what your score was, was directly proportionate to how many lives you had left. Because when I first started playing... I was getting 25 points per dot. I think it was, what, 250 for a power pellet. And then I think it was like 1,000 for the first ghost, 2,000 for the second, uh, 4,000 for the third, and what, 6,000 for the fourth. So yeah, I put up a pretty good score of like 440,000. It was, it was a fun game. Um, definitely breathes a little bit of life back in that game. Uh, played uh, Junior Pac-Man on a hyper, you know, a hyper uh, speed chip, which was made the game a little more fun, especially with the later bases because there's so many areas in the you know, on the later bases, like six, seven, eight bases deep. There's so many places you can get trapped and your speed doesn't count for very much. Um, let's see, what else? Um, they had a turbo machine that wasn't working, which is unfortunate. Uh, I wanted to play Spy Hunter, but unfortunately I hadn't figured out that you can put credits up on the machine by pressing the coin return button. Um, so the next time I go up there, I'm going to play a lot more games. Um, let's see, put my high score up on Mr. Do. I think I got like, what, 160,000 points, which is actually really good. <laughs> you know, that was really good. Um, what else? Uh, what else did I play? Um, yeah, I played a lot of Star Wars, which was fun. I played a lot of Tempest, which was fun, but frustrating because... The top three scores were way up over 600,000. I was only only able to get like 200 and 
230, 240,000, something like that. So I had the whole high score from fourth all the way down to 10th to myself. But I couldn't break the higher scores because I was so rusty at the game. You know, I was getting better at it, but it was also kind of frustrating because it was just like, I just couldn't, you know, get the movements and, you know, getting the fire rate correct for the, uh, the red, the red stages, you know, the red, the, the red stages. Um, so, okay. Um, let's see, what else did I play? Uh, I played Frontline, which I haven't, I haven't played in an arcade since I was in eighth grade. You know, that's the last time I played Frontline, Frontline, and I forgot how hard that game is. Oh my goodness, that game is hard. I mean, let's see, what else did I play? My God, I can't even think how many games I played. Um, unfortunately, they had a Street Fighter Champion Edition hack, and I didn't know it was a hack until I actually played it. You know, but I played it, and, you know, I didn't get past the first fight because those hacks are just weird. Um, what else? What else did I play? Played Star Castle, mentioned that. Um, oh, I tried to straight nine a regular Galaga, and I only got like, what, 848,000? So, yeah, I forgot that, see, the problem is, is that when you're used to playing a, uh, a Galaga machine with fast shots, um, you tend to play faster. Um, and, uh, I had to really, I had to make a conscious effort to slow myself down playing that machine. And, I mean, I could have had, like, probably 940, 950,000 by the time my game ended if I had gotten as many challenging stages as I normally do. You know, usually when I get those challenging stages, I rock them. You know, there's only, like, one that gives me serious trouble, and I just couldn't get it together to get those things, which is kind of weird because I consider myself an expert at, at that game. Okay, I'm at a delivery stop, so I'm going to pause this recording. Okay, I'm back. All right, um, but yeah, for the most part, almost all of the games that I played were in good working order. The ones that stand out are the Asteroids Machine, like I said, uh, the Super Punch-Out Machine, the control to the pull-up on the stick to make your fighter duck, special attacks from you know the other fighters. Um, the joystick is really loose, and it's really made it just really hard. I mean, I still got to the champion, I just got my ass beat. It was terrible. Um, let's see, you know, the Pac-Man machines were pretty much, the Pac-Man machines were fine, uh, the Galaga machines were fine, um, let's see, what else, um, see, I knew I should have recorded this when I left the arcade on Saturday, because there was, a, there was more that I wanted to 
mention that I just couldn't remember, but it is what it is. Um, over, like I said, overall, this place gets a four and a half out of five. I mean, aside from, I mean, aside from the, you know, the odd machine not working correctly and the, um, and the heat and the, and it being so damn hot in the place. I mean, aside from that, it's perfect. All they gotta do is just, you know, tamp down, tamp down the heat so much because there are a lot of people in there and a lot of machines. They generate a lot of heat. So, aside from that, I think it was fine. All right, I'm at another stop, so I'm gonna pause this. Okay, I'm back. Let's see now. Um, yeah, I mean, the place is certainly well on its way. I mean, they gotta do something about the level of heat in there though, oh my goodness. I mean, it was, I won't say it's a sauna, but it was pretty hot. I mean, and it makes me wonder if that is a, that's a business tactic to get people to buy waters and sodas out of their, uh, little cooler thing they had right next to the front counter probably but yeah you shouldn't have to shouldn't have to do that I mean it's good enough that you have it there you know for people to buy because people are thirsty you know people get thirsty playing games and so forth but yeah it's just I'm in my eyes it's not really necessary um yeah, they do need to get some of the games on the floor fixed. I mean, there was a Dragon's Lair there that they could have a lot of people playing because of the the Stranger Things uh, episode slash lead-in, which had, excuse me, which has kind of rejuvenated a little bit of interest in Dragon's Lair, just like how it introduced not introduce it, rejuvenated interest in Dungeons and Dragons last year. That show, I have to actually sit down and watch that show because that show is calling back, doing so many 1980s callbacks and early 1980s callbacks too, that, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, I should be 100% behind, but unfortunately I'm not, not at this point. But then again, I just don't watch a lot of TV anyway, as of this point. Um, you know, that, they also probably need to fix that Space Age machine right next to it. Um, if I had a... If I wanted to really be nitpicky... They should take out all the, the They should take out the machines that have uh, second ones. Like they have, um, they have multiple Ms. Pac-Man machines. I think they have two, maybe even three. I'm, I must have lost count. They got uh, two Galaga machines. They don't need that. Um, you know, those machines can be issued for, uh, for other machines that I know they have. 
because I remember how that place was. They had literally 30 or 40 games on one side of the arcade that just were in various states of disrepair or, you know, repair or whatever you want to say. And there are a couple of areas, there's just a couple of small areas where they have like a broken down Stargate machine that they could just take out of there and uh, put a functioning game in there. Um, I mean, if I'm going to be nitpicky, you know, one of the other things was is that they had like old pinball machines that they've gotten rid of that I wish they had kept. Um, but also, I understand that they want to keep space for uh, birthday parties because they have a little little uh, bench bench and seating area for you know small birthday parties which is cool. Um, what else? I mean, aside from that, I don't have very many gripes about the place. I mean, there are a couple, and there are a couple of real nitpicky, uh, real nitpicky, uh, gripes I have about the place. But, I mean, aside from that, it's a really good arcade. Um, they just gotta keep their, just gotta keep their, uh, machines maintained which is kind of hard in this day and age considering a lot of those machines are almost, there's one or two that's almost 40 years old now. There's one or two of them in there that's almost 40 years old. Um, but yeah, I mean, aside from that, it's, it's fine. It's a wonderful arcade, you know, and it's like I've said to a couple of people that I've deli- I delivered to, a couple people I were talking to. You know, it's a good place to kind of let your inner 11-year-old run free, wander around, you know, sort of good time to just, if you're in your late 30s, early 40s, and you remember all of these games and all these things, you know, if you were born prior to, what, 1970? I'd say 73, you know, when you were old enough to actually go into arcades and actually play the games, you know, like I was. Um, If you remember those days and you love playing those machines and, you know, go to this place. I mean, $15 is not a lot for a free play. I mean, depending, of course, on your skill level, you know, you have to put in some time or you can just float around from machine to machine. I mean, while I was playing Galaga, I was watching this one woman playing Burger Time, which was right next to me. I was watching her play Burger Time, and I basically had to bite a hole in my lip, you know, during pauses in Galaga to tell her that she's playing it wrong that, you know, the best thing to do is to (laughs) get the enemies onto the buns and the parts of the hamburger before you drop them down. That way you get points and you get your, uh, get your peppers back, your pepper sprays back. But I just shut up 
but there was a time where, yeah, I almost just opened my mouth and went Brady Smurf on her. Uh, excuse me, you're doing this wrong. Papa Smurf always says, yeah, next thing I know, I'm outside the machine, you know, outside the arcade, you know, somebody literally booted me out of the arcade, so yeah, I just shut up and let her play how I played it. Um, you know, another thing that was impressive about that arcade, they had a full array of Donkey Kong machines. They had Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong 3, um, Mario Brothers, um, the two, they had Donkey Kong Jr. 2, and they had the, uh, harder Donkey Kong. You know, and that was impressive. You know, I think they had, like, what, six, seven machines, like, all in a row on the upper level back wall, which was actually really cool. Yeah, I played some Donkey Kong. I... I did okay, you know, I didn't do as great as I normally do, you know, I mean, for me to have a good Donkey Kong game, I have to score close to 80,000 points, but yeah, I didn't do that, but that's okay, because it's just one of those things where I can't be as results-oriented as I normally am with a game. You know, but at the same time, they're on free play, so the stress that I always, the stress to perform, as I always felt when I was younger, just wasn't there anymore. If I did well at a game, I was good with it. If I did badly at a game, I was good with it, because it didn't matter. I'd already, you know, I wasn't dropping tokens or dropping quarters, at which I had a finite amount of. So, you know, as well as things where, you know, I just had to remember how to play certain games. I mean, I had to do it with Tempest, you know, and you had to do it with Tempest. And, you know, I did actually pretty well at Tempest considering I haven't played that game with any kind of arcade seriousness in oh, well over 30 years. Um... I mean, the last time I played Tempest with any kind of seriousness was when it was still in the arcade in Trumbull Mall in my hometown. And, you know, I had, um, I remember that the a lot of the guys that I hung out with and kind of learned from, they were playing it and, you know, they'd gotten all the way to the light blue set of levels because let me think it's red it's blue, it's dark blue to start then it's red then it's green then it's I think white then it's light blue and then it's invisible you know going from the circle level all the way through to the figure eight level and which is which was cool. That's how you know, and I just jumped in, threw my quarters in, kept the levels up, and I just kept going that way. Of course, if by the time you get to the light blue level in Tempest, everything is just chaos. You know, everything's moving fast. Everything is out. Everything is there to try to kill you. Blah blah blah. And you know, if you can survive, I mean, especially if you're average at the game. 
you know, if you survive like three or four levels and, you know, are able to advance the bonus starting, the starting point bonus, you know, you've done your job. Um, let's see. Um, but yeah, uh, next time I go, now that I know that all you have to do is just press in one of the coin returns and it'll put a credit up on the machine, um, you know, I'm going to play a lot more games. Um, I didn't know that if I had known that, yeah, I'd have played a lot more games because there were just some games, they have a working spy hunter, they had a working pole position, they had a bunch of machines that I wanted to play, but they didn't have any credits on. And unfortunately, a lot of those games didn't have free play, free play options on them. So now that I know, I'm going to be playing a lot more games. I mean, they had a Quakes machine that I wanted to play, because I'm pretty sure that I can do pretty well at Quakes, because I remember a lot of the tricks and a lot of the ways to do things, um, and put up high scores. I wish their high scores were permanent, but I know they're not, with, with the exception of the ones that save to a battery on, you know, on the PC board. Because there are a lot of machines that I put up high scores on that I want to keep there. <laughs> yeah, the Mr. Do was the one, the one that I was especially proud of. I think I got, like, to level... I think I got to, like, level 17, which was pretty good. Actually, really good, all things considered. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right! And playing Mr. Do, I actually got the diamond. I mean, it didn't matter any, because, of course, the machine said I'm free play, but that was 9,000 points! <laughs> that was 9,000 points just for getting the diamond. And I saw that, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I immediately had to get it. It was kind of ironic because I'm trying to remember the frequency of the diamond occurring in a Mr. Do game, which if you were playing it on one coin per credit, it would give you, you know, it would end the level. If you picked it up, it would end the level, give you 9,000 points. Uh, and give you an actual game credit so you can actually continue playing. I think the frequency was like one in every like 256 uh, levels or something like that. I mean, it's some sort of ridiculously, I mean, not even ridiculous, just sort of, there's some sort of rare occurrence. I mean, I remember playing Mr. Do when I was a kid and when I was, when I was a teenager and getting killed trying to make it to that diamond. <laughs> but yeah. You know, so yeah, that, that was that was pretty special. At least to me it was. Um let's see. Yeah, I've noticed that you know my right firing arm isn't quite what it used to be probably because of the job I have, because my job has a lot of physical labor to it, you know, lifting and carrying, 
metal parts, steel, uh, trays of it in excess of 100 pounds sometimes. And I think I might have strained uh, a, you know, a muscle or a tendon in, in my elbow because I noticed after playing games for quite some time at, at the arcade that especially when I decided to try Straight Nine Galaga, um, that, yeah, I was noticing that my, uh, that the tendon in my right elbow was really starting to hurt. And usually that's a time, that's definitely, no matter if you're playing arcade games or home games or computer games, if something starts to hurt while you're playing a game, and you've been playing for so long, that's time for you to stop. So, even if I had, still had kept track of time, I probably would have, um, I probably would have uh, stopped then anyway. Because, yeah, that's the last thing I need is to have like a serious strain in my arm or my elbow considering I have to go back to work in a couple of days and just as well because there's a lot a lot of stuff today I mean as it is it's 1239 I'm running a little behind as we speak not as behind as I could be but behind enough to where I'm probably not going to get back to the shop till somewhere around 4 if not afterwards um but anyway I digress as usual. Um, yeah, the place was pretty... I won't say it was packed. It was jumping, for sure. You know, a lot of kids, a lot of adults, you know. Um, everybody playing games. Um, there were these guys huddled around the Star Castle machine who were probably in their early, no, not early, their middle to late 30s, probably early 40s, somewhere in there, say from between ages 35 to 45, somewhere in there, because those guys were just tickled pink that they were playing a fully functioning Star Castle machine. And, you know, and after they had gotten done with it, they had left, I went on that thing, and I was pretty happy. I rocked it. You know, I got over 10,000 points, which was, which is pretty damn good. I mean, you know, the guys that I played games with and I learned from back in the day, uh, the Star Castle Machine and Trumbull Ball, um, those guys would put up like 25, 30,000 points, you know, something like that, and probably, actually in my day, I probably could put up 20,000, but I was out of practice, and playing games on name, and actually playing their arcade counterparts, just from a gameplay standpoint, it is very different, um, it, you know, it's, some games it's easier to play on a controller than actually standing at a machine and playing it, but not many. Maybe one, maybe two, perhaps three machines I can think of. Um, machine, you know, but mostly 
I found that I could play games a lot better on when standing at a machine. <sighs> standing at a machine as opposed to sitting in front of a monitor screen and playing with a game controller. But, you know, that's just me. I was raised on arcade machines, more or less. So, I'll always think the arcade machines will provide a better experience than, than doing me. And, quite honestly, it's probably one of the reasons why some people collect arcade machines as it is. You know, as opposed to having... Uh, as opposed to being able to find... Uh, main ROMs and playing them that way but at the same time it's like yeah the experience is very different very very different um let's see what else I mean and quite honestly you know I enjoyed myself greatly I did it was fun just seeing machines that even if I couldn't figure out how to, you know, get credits in them to play them, it was just good seeing machines that still worked, you know, that still played the exact same way as they did when I was 11, 12, 13 years old, 14. Um, and as I said, it was just good to just let the inner 11-year-old run around, you know, just go crazy, go nuts, you know, it was fun. I mean, I'm hoping that this is one of those experiences I can share with my son, Marcus, when he's a little older. Maybe probably when he's about six or seven years old, you know, depending on where I'm living at the time, of course. I'm going to find an arcade or just take a Saturday, give his mother, you know, more or less the day off and just take just put him in the car and take him to an arcade. You know, and hopefully he kind of if he's a, if he's anything like my son, I mean, he's already 3 years old and he's already holding the uh, game controllers in the correct fashion. Of course, he's probably just imitating me cuz he's watched me play games on my computer and on my PlayStation 2 and on my Xbox 360 and you see me holding the controller and he's already got it down. So perhaps we've got another gamer in the family. <laughs> well, who knows? We'll see, we will see when Marcus gets a little older. Um, what else? Now, one of the things I want to do is go to go downtown to downtown Detroit, you know, drive to Detroit, you know, park somewhere downtown, I'd have to figure out where, um, and go to a couple of barcades, uh, in the downtown area, because they're making a comeback, that's another sign that Detroit is making a comeback, is that not only are you seeing more restaurants, more businesses, but you're also seeing more recreation in the, you know, in the Detroit area, in the greater Detroit area, in, you know, especially downtown. I remember going downtown, downtown Detroit for the first time 
after I moved up here in 2003. And I was going to, where was I going to? I was going to the, oh, that's right. I was going over to Windsor to pick up a friend of ours who was going to stay with myself and my roommates. And I remember, well, my first thought was when I was going through the west side of Detroit, heading downtown to go through the tunnel to go to Canada. Of course, it was a lot easier to go to Canada then. All you had to have was just your light driver's license and your birth certificate, and you could just go across the border, you know, willy-nilly. There was nothing to it. Um, uh, let's see. But, yeah, I was picking her up, and I was driving through... Uh, the west side of Detroit, and I'm like, oh my god, this is terrible. You know, this reminds me of the east side of my hometown of Bridgeport, Connecticut, only a lot bigger. Um, then, driving through Detroit, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as it was in, uh, the late, two, late 2000s, you know, like 2007, 2008, 2009, especially after 2009. When the when the economy went belly up, but you know it's good. It was good to see that Detroit is continuing its comeback. They aren't stopping, you know, at a certain level. I mean, I remember when Super Bowl what was it fifty? Was it fifty? No, it wasn't fifty. Or was it? No, it was. Or was it forty-five? It was one of the Super Bowls where they actually had it in Detroit, and they basically gussied up all the empty buildings in downtown Detroit to hide the blight, and I'm just glad that they kind of don't have to do that anymore. Okay, I'm at a stop, so I'm going to pause it here. Okay, I'm back. Um... I completely lost my track of thought, so I'm just going to go off on another little tangent. Um, another episode idea for the podcast, if I could ever actually get the time and energy together to get it off the ground. Um, another idea for the podcast was... The title of it will be A Day in the Light Life. <laughs> day in the Light. Yeah, I know I'm hungry now. I can't even talk straight. A Day in the Life of a Self-Admitted Mall Rat. And that's just basically going to break down what happens on a day that I decide to hang out at the mall. And that could be a Saturday, a Sunday, uh, a day during the week in the summer, a day during the week during school when I decide to ditch school, which I have done, <laughs> uh, and the things I would do. Um, most of it revolved around hanging around the arcade, I mean, especially once... Uh, once the once Carlo, the security guy, he knew that I just hung out, the, you know, hung out there. He'd actually put me to work, have me clean off the 
the, the screen of all the arcade machines, you know, the glass on the pinball machines and stuff, and he'd give me credits on a game. Um, then there was Eric, who I think took over the arcade um, after Carlo, who was an older guy, probably in his 60s, you know, late 50s, early 60s, somewhere around there. I think Carlo retired. And I think Eric was the guy who actually owned the arcade. He's had guys, he's, you know, he had guys working for him. Uh, but apparently, well, especially towards the end, probably like 1985, 1986, you know, going all the way up until the arcade closed in 88. Um, he would take care of the place, he would take care of the place and, you know, I'd clean up the machines for him and he would give me like 30 credits on a machine like Super Punch-Out or something like that. So, all right, I'm going to go grab some lunch and buy some diapers for my son, so I'm going to end it here. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music is provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. If you wish to contact the show, you can drop an email at arcadeaddictryan, that's all one word, at gmail.com. We also have a voicemail number for the show. It is 734-743-2433. Until next time, this is the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. <laughs>